One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to your Wimbledon quarterfinals catch-up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. As always, I'm Joel, the Wandering Wildcard, and I'm joined by the self-confessed Queen of Clay, Kim. Kim, how are you doing? We're at the quarterfinals stage of Wimbledon. Very exciting. Heading into semifinals, we're going to be looking back on what's been a very, well, I think it's been an eventful time on the women's side, a less less eventful time on the men's side. Would you agree? I would completely agree. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm just kind of ruining a little decision I made back in, oh, I think it was April, where I turned down men's semi-finals tickets to Wimbledon um, because I just thought, well, I don't really want to risk it in case I don't get to see Rafa and he's not, you know, going to be there. But lo and behold, he is. And he's playing Roger Federer. It's Fedal 40 and I would love, love to be there, but I can't. Um, but oh well, for, that is a major first world problem, is it not, Joel? Um, so I shall move swiftly on. Um, it's our 50th episode, so that's happier, happier news, isn't it? Incredible scenes. How, how, has, this, <laughs> how has this happened? Passing shot reaches 50 episodes. We're at the half century Um uh, yeah, it's it's been great, and I, I hope you know our listeners. I hope our listeners are ha- as happy as as we are. We think uh, we've we've really enjoyed making like every single episode. We think we've improved, uh, you know, along the way. And uh, yeah, half half a century. I think as some celebratory pims or or <laughs> I don't know orange juice for anyone who doesn't drink, you know, should be on the car. So everyone just have a have a drink on us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've got lots to talk about as per. So let's start with today's action, men's quarterfinals. Um, pretty straightforward. Uh, as you said, the women's side of proceedings have kind of been more eventful over the last few days. Um, I mean, going into the semis, uh, sorry, going into the quarters today, um, actually, Novak, Rafa and Roger had all lost the last time they played their opponents, um, but that did not happen today. So they, they overcome their opponents. Um, I mean, Federer dropped a set he was probably the the one that was most challenged for for a set, um, but apart from that, it was it was quite straightforward, wasn't it? Yeah, it, to be honest, it wasn't even close. I think there were you know there were moments for their opponents. You know, I think uh, Goffin, uh, sorry, Goffin broke up, broke um, Djokovic to go four three up in the first set. You know, Federer obviously lost his first set, uh, but it, it was almost like that was as good as it got. Um, let, let's kind of look at each match um, 
one by one. And let's start with kind of Novak Djokovic versus David Goffin, because... Yeah. Is, is there anything to a... say about that match? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it was over before affair. I'd even like check the score. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. 6-4, six, 6-love, six, 6-2. I think, you know, he dropped six games. And I think um, I think that was his the second least amount of uh, games that uh, an opponent has won against Djokovic. Um, like in a Grand Slam. I think Lucas Puy only won two games or f- no, I think he only won Ooh. four games in his semi-final, I think, at the Australian Open. That is maybe. a rout. Wow. Yeah. So, but I mean, this is, this, to be honest, is not much better. And, you know, uh, 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 yeah, it's just like. It just shows you the massive gulf between, I think, you know, the big three and, and Goffin, he, you know, was playing a pretty decent tournament, but didn't have, have a chance. And also Novak in his fourth round match against uh, Hugo Humbert, he didn't even face a break point or get to juice on his serve. So like he just has sort of walked through his last two rounds. Well, he's kind of walked through the whole tournament without much hassle, hasn't he? I mean, you could say his draw hasn't been the toughest, you know, compared to say what Rafa's had, but you know, he's done what he needed to do. And I think he would be a staunch favorite (laughs) against uh, RBA in the semi-final. I mean, you look at his, you look at his draw, Cole Schreiber, Cudler, uh, Herkash, Umber, and then Goffan. Uh, one of our, one of our followers on Twitter actually said he's, he's probably seen harder 250 draws. And uh, to be honest, I, I would agree with him because, you know, a very, yeah, certainly a very favorable draw. I mean, yes, you can only beat what's in front of you, but again, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it seems the, the players he's come up against, he's just been able to kind of swat away with, with relative ease. Well, yeah. I mean, next he'll have Roberto Bautista, Agut, who going into the quarterfinals had not dropped a set. He was the only player in the tournament to have not done that. And he came up against Guido Payer, who was into his first Grand Slam quarterfinal, um, which was pretty good. I mean, Guido Payer, like, I mean, if you'd have thought he'd be in a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam, you wouldn't have predicted grass would be the first place he'd do it. <laughs> but um, yeah, Bautista Agut came through that in four sets. So he he lost his first set of the tournament. Um, but <laughs> I think my favourite thing to come out of this was that uh, Bautista Agut has now had to cancel his stag do because of reaching the Wimbledon <laughs> semi-finals. I mean, there's a pretty good reason to cancel your stag do, isn't it? But I mean, it... <laughs> well, I hope they've re- I hope they've rescheduled it. But uh, at least it's yeah, not the actual I... wedding that needs to be re- rearranged. <laughs> I suppose that that might have been a bit a uh, bit dodgy. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you know? Interestingly, actually, I saw um, uh, Batista actually has beaten Djokovic twice already this season. He both has. On hard- Yes. Both on hard courts. So, you know, that semi-final again might not be an, an easy ride like some might be predicting, but um It's yeah, very different it, though, isn't it? Like playing someone in Doha, for example. I, I yeah. You know, to a, the deep end of a Grand Slam. I don't see Roberto Bautista Gute even winning a set personally. Oh. Uh but uh <laughs> well, we'll see. Stranger things have happened perhaps. Um, I mean, we should really talk, I guess, now about Roger Federer. So he uh, defeated Kane Shikori in four sets. It was a battle of the Uniglo ambassadors, I suppose, out on court. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, straightforward after that first set, he came through sort of a standard Federer, really. 
and uh, he's now into his 13th uh, Wimbledon semi-final. And I think he's the, the second or the oldest Grand Slam semi-finalist since, uh, oh, since Jimmy Connors. Am I, am I perhaps right in quoting that stat? But uh, not for a while anyway. So, uh, and he will be facing Rafa, of course. Well, I think um, Federer this week broke uh, Connor's record of most uh, wins mm. at one Grand Slam event. And I think he's now, uh, with that victory today, on to a century, which yeah. is kind of... a hundred. Which is kind of... Uh, it's kind of mad if you think about it. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, again, very kind of almost like Nishikuri made Federer angry in, <laughs> with that first set. And uh, Federer basically didn't you know, didn't look back, you know, going into the match on paper, you may have seen, um, you know, potential upset on the cards, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not really much more you can say, but Federer <laughs> not really came, much to talk about it. <laughs> Federer came through in four. Yep. Yeah, and Rafa came through in three against Sam Querrey. I mean, that for me was probably, I mean, yeah, I'm a Rafa fan, but it was, you know, the first set was actually quite interesting. Rafa went, I think four, one up and then Querrey, um, you know, Rafa had like a three set points at sort of five three on Query serve, didn't take it. Then Query broke back and it went to five all. And so it was it was really close at the end of the first set, but then um, the, the last two sets, you know, Rafa just kind of ran away with it. So um, what perhaps could have been a more interesting encounter if Query had won that first set, you know, who knows? But um, yeah, we've got Fedal forty. Uh, coming up, and um, we had Fedal thirty nine at Roland Garros. So. It's the second time they've played this year. Um, we actually did do a recent episode, didn't we, Joel, with Dan Rubenstein, uh, host of Sports Wars, the podcast about his um, series focusing on on their rivalry. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, it's just a couple of episodes back. Um, you'll find it on on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to us. But um, that's a you know really good insight into their rivalry and the history of it, and and it takes you through actually you know the last time they played on grass, which was eleven years ago in arguably the greatest match of all time so it's nice that we're getting this kind of treat 11 years later of them meeting again on on the same court yeah and I find it's really weird actually Kim because I don't actually think we've talked much about this kind of Federer Nadal uh potential matchup in like the semi-finals been hearing more about like mixed doubles than you know the potential for for a Fedal um you know, a, a Fidel semi-final. Um, it seems so almost, I mean, for me, it just feels like it's almost kind of snuck up on us. Yeah, I think there was more emphasis on it going into Roland Garros. Um, but I think that's probably because, you know, Rafa's draw, you know, threw up Nick Kyrgios in the second round and it was kind of, oh, you know, that was the popcorn match. The focus was on that match. Um, and there was kind of less guarantee that Rafa would actually make it to the semi-finals. Um, but I'm sure in the next day or so, it's going to be hotting up. Um, I don't really know what to expect because Rafa, you know, I think he's been playing the best he could ever have played on grass, to be quite honest with you. And people were saying the courts are playing slower. So I think going into the match, he's got more chance than he would have had, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and obviously he beat Federer the last time they played on grass, but I'm going to be quite intrigued to see how it pans out. Uh, yeah, who knows? Are we in for another classic? You know, I, I felt that, you know, when we were at this kind of juncture for... French Open um, between Federer and Nadal, we were all, you know, expecting a classic and it didn't really kind of turn out that way. Um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping it can live up to this billing. I probably would back 
I think I would back Federer. Mm. But I mean, it's it's been so long since they played, you know, on a grass court. You know, I wonder mm. if, you know, once they step out again, is it going to bring back those emotions from, you know, 2008? Who knows? But um, it's certainly going to be, you know, you know, we're not going to see any empty seats uh, for that for that matchup, are we? Let's hope that it lasts longer than Federer's fourth round match against Matteo Berrettini, <laughs> which was actually the shortest round four match ever, uh, 75 minutes long. So uh, let's let's hope it's <laughs> it's more exciting than that match because I think that probably won the award for the most boring match uh, of the tournament, perhaps. Yeah, I think it was the shortest ever match uh, in round four since 1991. Mm. I mean, like, yeah, I, I think it was. I don't know if anyone was kind of saw it on our, on our Twitter. We 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 quoted an interview um, with Berrettini b- before the match, and he was saying that he thought he had the tools uh, to kind of ruffle some fev- some Federer feathers, but that that did not materialize almost spectacularly. Um, and yeah, again, Federer just kind of came through and is kind of like, you know, the big three generally have just swatted away um, opponents. It kind of does make me think, though, Kim, like, do you like because we're going to be treated to a, a Federer Nadal semi-final? Do you are you almost like not bothered there's not actually been that many upsets in, in the draw? Like if it gives you the popcorn match in the semi-finals, the one that, you know, we all want. Are you that bothered or are you kind of like, well, you know, it, it's just not been a very exciting men's tournament? Well, I mean, some people might have wanted like the next gen to have broken through, which they really haven't. Um, you know, they sort of mostly lost in the first round, didn't they? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, really. I guess, yeah, occasionally it's nice to see an upset, I suppose, for neutral fans. But I mean, as a Rafa fan, obviously I'm glad Rafa's made it through. Um, and also for neutral fans, Fedal and, you know, potentially then Djokovic against one of them in the final, that's pretty tasty as well. So um, I think we need to just relish and appreciate the big three while we've still got them because I think it's lasted a lot longer than people thought it would, you know, them all being at the top of the game. And a, come a couple of years' time, we might be looking back thinking, oh, damn, I wish the big three were here because, I don't know, we might have a really substandard set of semi-finalists like no offense to them but just in terms of the greatness involved it, it's there are a different sort of caliber so I think we just need to like appreciate it while we've still got them I yeah I, I certainly agree and it doesn't and and when we talk about the big three I think what's most startling to me is like it does they don't feel like they're like past their sale by date it's still no. they still feel yeah relatively fresh even though obviously like Federer is like 37 years old and you know, I think, you know, a lot has been made of the draw because of the number of 30 year olds reaching like the latter stages of the competition, both in the men's section and the and the women's section. But, um, you know, it still feels very fresh. It still feels very compelling. And, you know, I think we're we're all set for, you know, what could be um, another absolute epic on um, on the grass courts on, on Friday. Yeah, and actually, all of the men's and women's semi-finalists, there's only two uh, of that are under 30. So Svitolina is the youngest semi-finalist at age 24. Um, and uh, barring Halep at 27, everyone else is over 30, um, which brings us on to the women's semi-final. So we have Svitolina against Halep, and we have Serena Williams against Barbora Stritskova. 
Um, let's just round up the women's quarterfinals because for me, I think we had a cracking match between Serena and Alison Risk. It's a real three-set tussle. They both played, you know, some great tennis. Alison Risk was, you know, she's she has a lot to be proud of because she really fought and, you know, almost almost pulled off pulled off the upset. Um, she continued her, you know, her excellent grass court form. And um, I was sort of at one point thinking, oh, you know, I really do think she could she could win that one. But um, yeah, Serena came through. She's looking pretty strong now. Um, I think you'd have to say she's favourite to reach the final against Tritskova. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, for me, I th- I, well, I still think, you know, Serena in, in that match against Risk um, showed us like the best of her, but also like the worst of her. Mm. And, you know, I, I think, you know, against like a really top opponent, you know, she's going to have to be like more consistent and show us more of that like Grand Slam winning sort of tennis. Um, you know, she goes into... Yeah, the semi-finals against Stritzkova, and and you know, I, was, I think I was reading an article earlier in the in the Guardian that was basically talking about the fact that you know what what Stritzkova can do that Risk can't, you know, couldn't potentially have done is um, is move Serena around a lot more and, and make her think a lot more about the the sort of you know uh, ball she has to play because I think if there is one weakness um, with Serena at this tournament, it might be her like maneuverability. And her like you know movement around court because I still don't think it's you know what it you know what it has been in the past given her you know her injury troubles. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be a good tactic to make her move as much as possible. And I mean, Stritzka is a bit of a different player, isn't isn't she? She doesn't give a lot of pace. She's got some uh, you know difficult shots and tricks up her sleeve, which you know Joe Ponta found out and struggled with quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it will be a, a whitewash, but I, I do think, you know, Stritzkov is into her first Grand Slam semi-final in the singles anyway. And um, I, I can't see her, you know, pulling off pulling off that upset. But I mean, how frustrating though for Joe Conta, you know, just talking about that match. I think we all went into it thinking, you know, okay, Conta surely got this. Uh, but I think, you know, that kind of, Maybe we were a bit hubristic. I don't know, but it just did not go very well. At, at, you know, after the end of that first set, it just unraveled quite quickly. And yet again, Conta loses to an unseeded Czech player at a Grand Slam. Obviously, von Drausova and now Stritzkova. I think, I think it, it kind of showed to me that with Conta, she's obviously very capable at playing against opponents who play at pace you know, like to hit a hard ball, you know, players like Sloane Stevens and, and Kvitova, and she can deal with pace, you know, very well. But when she comes up against an opponent like Shitskovo, who doesn't have the hardest game, you know, is a bit more tactical and has a bit more variety. And, you know, she, she obviously came to the, uh, she likes to come to the net and use her like doubles prowess in her singles play. You know, that, that, you know, Conta came unstuck and against that sort of player. And, you know, she's going to have to be able to adapt to those, you know, different sorts of opponents because, yeah, as I said, I think, you know, against a harder, a harder hitting player, you know, she's, she's definitely up there in terms of one of, you know, one of the best in the world, but, you know, against the more tricksy and crafty opponents, uh, I still think she's got a, she's obviously got a little bit to learn. Yeah, I think it's funny that Bob Orstritzkova plays with uh, Sue Wei Shea in the doubles because they're both, 
you know, very like quirky players, aren't they? And and actually they are in the semi-finals of the women's double. So Barbora Stritskova is a semi-finalist in both singles and doubles this tournament. So, you know, she's obviously in really good form and playing really, really well. And it just goes to show again how, you know, transferable sort of being a great doubles player is uh, on the singles court. Um I mean, I guess now we've had the press conference after that match. That's what everyone is talking about. Um, and Conta was, you know, there's, I think everyone's probably seen the clip of her, you know, saying that the journalist was being patronising uh, by asking her, you know, sort of about her missed opportunities and does she does she actually want to win a Grand Slam? You know, she keeps kind of losing these matches that she really should be uh, should be winning. What did what did you make of that, Joel? I mean, some people are saying that they didn't, they don't think the question was, you know, inappropriate, wasn't too harsh. Others are saying, you know, well, no, Joe was was right to say that, and and the journalist was being patronising. Yeah, I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm with Conter on this. I think the journalist in question, I think, you know, the question was fine, but I just think the way he expressed it, the tone of it was a bit, yeah, for me was was a bit patronising and. You know, I I kind of was looking at it on social media and like reading all the kind of uh, talk around it, and you know, I didn't, I just didn't think it was expressed as well as it could have. Obviously, Conta's going to be in not the, you know, she's not going to be in a great mood coming off a, a you know loss like that, um, and she was understandably, I think, a bit kind of, you know, an, annoyed and you know she was negative, but I think she kind of, yeah, I think she was right to kind of call it out and. You know, it just kind of annoyed me that, like, you know, this uh, she, she's having a really good season. You know, she's got to the semi-finals in the French Open. You know, she's played above her seeding at Wimbledon. But, yeah, we kind of, like, we're always trying to look for a spin on it. It's just so negative. And, uh, you know, I would just want us to be a little bit more positive because, you know, she's Joe Conter's a really good player and she's having some really good form this season. And, you know, we should... I feel like we should be celebrating that a bit more. I don't think it's celebrating mediocrity i don't but you know i just think that you know first you know first question out of the bat or you know straight into the interview and we're all kind of looking at the doom and gloom i just think uh, i just think like yeah can't, can't we just be a bit more positive <laughs> that would be great I, I well we all should be more positive in our lives um yeah i mean i agree i think they were just they're just going for a headline aren't they and some, I think some of the journalists that maybe that get involved in Wimbledon, you know, they don't follow tennis all year round and they just kind of jump on it and they don't maybe understand um, the context as well. And I think, you know, I think she's had this before in press conferences. So her saying that was kind of like a frustrated culmination of like previous experiences that she's had with the, with the press and the media. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm glad she said something because I do think it was quite patronizing. Um, I mean, I know it's a sore subject of Contra, isn't it? Because I think fundamentally she knows that it was a missed opportunity and that she, you know, could have played better and she didn't, you know, play as well as we know she can. But at the same time, you don't need to sort of rub it in, in, uh, in that way. Um, but interestingly enough as well, there was a, a tabloid newspaper, I think it might have been the Daily Express, something along those lines, which I thought was appalling in the headline that they had because they called Strickskova an unseeded nobody. Um, I assume that was a genuine headline, not not like a joke one. Uh, but I just thought that was horrendous. I mean, she's not a nobody because um, our friend of the podcast, Lee, uh, who runs Tennis on Telly, uh, cleverly pointed out and rightly pointed out 
that this unseeded nobody has a career high of 16, two WTA singles titles, is the world's third best doubles player with 25 WTA doubles titles, plus an Olympic bronze medal, has won Fed Cup six times and earned $9 million plus in prize money in her 16-year tennis career. So that just kind of goes to show you that these sort of, I don't know, headline journalists, they just want, you know, a scandalous headline and they have no understanding of of the intricacies of the sport and you know just because they've never heard of Bob or Stritzkva doesn't mean that tennis fans or other people haven't and you know I thought that was pretty shocking yeah I, I know it was it was so so frustrating and like as you said I think you know they're it, reading about these journalists it sounds like you know some of them are almost like yeah they're they're football journalists first and like in the off season now oh, they might do a bit of tennis and you know I'm not it, it's kind of you know, it kind of shows, if I'm being honest, like, mm. you know, the way they kind of address questions, you know, it's quite clear looking for headlines, you know, the way they kind of present themselves in, in their articles. It's like, you know, I, I kind of wish, you know, tennis journalists, like, be a bit more kind of, you know, you should be, you should know the sport. And it's, this is not just kind of like a, you know, tennis for one month and then back to the Premier League. This is, you know, this is people's careers, people's lives, you know, treat it with a bit more respect. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's lack of respect. That's what it showed in, in that headline. Uh, maybe we need another a World Cup because that was on last year, wasn't it? It had the Football World Cup coinciding. <laughs> so, you know, last year it was probably fine, uh, all the journalists out doing the football. Um, but let's have a look at the other semi-finalists. So on the other side of the draw, we've got Simona Halep, who came through, uh, well, in straight sets against uh, Zhang Shui. Um, and I think that was quite predictable, I suppose. Um, I mean, I was surprised that Zhang Shui got past Yastremska in the fourth round because I, I know we said on the last pod that we, we were picking Yastremska for that one. Um, but I didn't realise, but I think Zhang Shui is the, is the player that is more known for playing doubles and was the one that won the Australian Open with Sam Stozer. Um, she's really good friends with Sam Stozer and Sam persuaded her not to retire and then they ended up winning AO doubles I think I think it's it's, it's that right? I think so yeah so I just think oh well that's great that she <laughs> she's done so well in the singles I read a similar story actually about uh Stritzkova who I think before this Wimbledon said along the lines of oh this may be my last Wimbledon yes and then, yeah and then uh it kind of reminded me of I know Kim is gonna it sounds really random but uh it sounded like the interview in the film Wimbledon, when Peter Colt, played by Paul Bettany, is like, oh, I might retire this Wimbledon, and then goes and, and goes oh, and gets the final. I love win. that film. It's. <laughs> I, do you know what? I was thinking of watching it after you know Wimbledon's finished because I uh, I, I love that film. It's. It, I mean, it's it's not accurate. They they miss out the fourth round. They go down to the like Brighton to eat fish and chips yeah. the day before his semi-final, <laughs> but you know we'll, we'll allow that because it, yeah, it's become a bit of a cult, as you said. Um. <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe Stritzkova is channeling her inner Peter Colt. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Dom Inglot like a body double in that film? I think, yeah, I think for, for him, I think he has right. the same yeah. sort of colour hair as Paul Bettany. <laughs> um, anyway, we we digress. Um, in the other quarterfinal, we had Alina Svitolina. Uh, coming through against Carolina Mukova. So Svitolina, I mean, I don't think anyone really was talking about her coming into this tournament. Um, she hasn't been awfully good this year, to be quite honest with you. I think she'd only won one match in a, the last couple of tournaments. So um, 
you know, and actually she could have lost in the second round because she was losing to uh, Margarita Gasparian, who then had to subsequently retire in the middle of the match. Um, well, it wasn't actually with an injury. I think she just had terrible cramp or fell over and got quite worried. Yeah, I think she had, uh, it was this, It was due to excessive cramps. And yeah, I think Svitolina was like two points away yeah. from defeat. And it, I mean, it was almost like that moment like, it was almost like a, a wake up, mm. a wake up for her. I think, you know, I think for fans kind of looking at that result, you're just thinking, oh, Svitolina's on the ropes here. She'll just go out in the next round. And it's been, you know, it's been that sort of, you know, um, look the other way sort of, uh, feeling that, you know, Svitolina is kind of coming through, not what anyone's talking about her. As you said, didn't really show any form, has had a few injuries as well. Um, you know, she's, you know, took down the Instagram Gems Life account with uh, Gail Monfils, put it back up. Um, you know, lots of go- lots going through her, her life. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone would have said, you know, her maiden semi-final appearance at a Grand Slam would have been on a grass court. No, well, I thought she'd already made a Grand Slam semi at, 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 I don't know, AO or US Open or something somewhere a few years ago, but obviously that must have been a quarterfinal. Um, But yeah, she's now Ukraine's first ever Grand Slam semi-finalist. I think it's good that we're now talking about her in terms of, you know, her results on court rather than Jem's life. Um, (laughs) So, and actually, I think, you know, um, I think she played Halep the last time they met in a slam and it was quite a close match in that quarterfinal that, you know, Svitolina's first quarter. So, I mean, I don't see that being a walk in the park for Simona Halep. I don't, I think it could go either way myself. I kind of predict a three-setter um, and it could very well be Svitolina in the final. Um, but she's just very quietly gone through the draw. Um, you know, I suppose she's, I guess we'd call a dark horse, but I mean, she is the eighth seed. So, um, but yeah, she's just kind of one of those players that, often goes under the radar but she did win the WTA finals at the end of last year and she didn't lose a single match in that tournament so when she's on it you know she can she can come through and uh yeah I've been quite intrigued I think oddly though for that again in in Singapore she showed no form going into Mm. the WTA finals and again came out and, and won it so I don't know if her approach to Grand Slam tennis should just be like, oh, I should just lose my next yeah. five matches going into, you know, US Open. Yeah, <laughs> just don't know. bother with Rogers Cup, Cincinnati. I'll oh, just, you know, tank my second round match. There we go. Um, no, I'm not advocating yeah. tanking, by the way. Um, <laughs> but just a note about Karolina Mukova. I saw her play her, ooh, was it third round match? And I was quite impressed. And then, you know, she ends up making the fourth round. She, um, sorry, she ended up making the quarterfinals. And she upset Karolina Pliskova in the fourth round. And we were almost about to have our first 12-all final set tie break. But she broke Karolina Pliskova in that, you know, final game. So she won it 13-11 in the end. Um, We have subsequently now had two 12-all last set tie breaks in in the doubles. But, um, yeah, it was quite exciting. I thought, you know, she was going to be... We were going to be on for our first one in the singles then, but it was not to be. Um, and then also just going back, we should really mention from the fourth round, Coco Goff, who, you know, finally fell by the wayside to Simona Halep in straight sets. Um, but, you know, obviously on the whole, she's had a fantastic tournament. She's broken into the world's top 150 now, I believe. Um, and I don't know where you've got this stat from. I, I assume it's correct. Her social media following yeah. has increased by what? 
oh, 12,400% over the last two <laughs> weeks. Is that right? Or have you added a, a zero on there? I think that's right. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It was from the it was from the U, USTA Twitter uh, oh, right. Twitter account. Um, but yeah, I think almost yeah for me it was it, yes the fairy tale was over, but it was almost like the job job had already been done. She's announced yeah. herself to the world. She almost like didn't need to go. She didn't need to win the tournament. She's she's done. She's you know got. Um, she made the second week. She had a great run. You know, came up against a very tough opponent in, in Simona Halep. Um, but now everyone everyone knows the name Coco Golf. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I'm I, I'm at work and you know, surrounded by like non tennis lovers and <laughs> in the future, yeah, she can be, she could be one of these characters, these individ one of these individuals that can tran- that can transcend the sport and bring in, you know, an audience of like new people to tennis that you know wouldn't even like consider it in in the first place yeah exactly she's gonna be a personality you know she's already got that presence and that there's just something about her isn't there that you sort of are drawn to so um yeah we will see when she next steps onto a, a court what happens with her um but yeah i mean let's have a talk about British players in other events. So we've had Andy Murray playing today in the mixed doubles with Serena Williams. So uh, Sarandi or Marina, as uh, people are saying, um, they lost sadly. So they lost in the third round of the mixed doubles to the number one seeds, Bruno Suarez and Nicole Melichar. So, you know, not a, not a, not anything to be sort of you know, just too dismayed about, but um, yeah, a bit of a shame that they kind of they couldn't go for that dream dream run to like the final or whatever. I think what's interesting is I you know I don't know if you saw uh, earlier in the week, Kim. Um, Andy actually said he's pretty unlikely to play U.S. Open singles. So again, are we going to be in a situation then at the U.S. Open when he's going to play men's doubles and mixed doubles? And if that is the case. You know, it, does the uh, Marina partnership have a part two? And is that at the US Open? Well, that, you know, we shall see. I mean, or will there be another kind of, I don't know, knockout competition to see who can be his mixed doubles partner and his men's doubles partner as well? Is Jay Clark going to bin off uh, Harriet Dart again? I don't know, but... Uh... Well, I don't think they'd be playing the US Open because they wouldn't get a wild card, would they? Because it's, I assume, you know, they only got a wild card into Wimbledon because it's Wimbledon, you know, British. But, um, I mean, it'd be nice to see Murray play with Feliciano Lopez again, perhaps, uh, at the US Open. I, I I completely agree. And I think, you know, you know, you look back on his little, you know, foray so far into, uh, into men's doubles. And it, obviously, he's been most successful with Lopez. And I'd love to see them, like rekindle that doubles partnership you know i don't know how likely that is but um i would love to see that on, a, on an american hardcore i think everyone would yeah absolutely i mean who knows jamie murray's partnership with neil skupski hasn't exactly gone swimmingly since they started so you know perhaps they might 
not continue and then you know we could have Andy and Jamie at some point um which I would also love to see um we also had yesterday Joe Salisbury um who was our kind of last remaining Brit in the men's doubles he lost in a final set tie break at 12 all um with his partner Rajiv Ram they lost two peers in continent so obviously a well-established and successful doubles team um so yeah dramatic a dramatic loss for Joe Salisbury in that one, um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so that just brings us to our last remaining Brits in any of the doubles competitions. Uh, Jamie Murray also lost in the mix with Bethany Mattixan. So yeah, our last remaining Brits are Evan Hoyt and Eden Silver. Who would have thought in the quarterfinals of the mixed doubles? Um, I saw their second round match and I think I was quite impressed actually. And I'm still hoping that they'll make a wild run to the final. And you two wins away. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I don't know what it is about mixed doubles wildcards and, and Wimbledon because, as you said, Jay Clark and, and Harriet Dart last year, and it feels like Hoyt and Silver are almost doing a tr- replicating their uh, their run. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's, uh, that's exciting on the schedule. Um, but yeah, let, let's just kind of quickly again just round up the semi-finals before we kind of head off um who, who's your money on for the women tomorrow so we've got Serena versus Stritzkova Svitolina versus Halep what final are we going to be seeing on Saturday Joel I think it's going to be a Serena Simona final um I think Serena will win I think Serena will win in three and I think actually she'll lose a set like 6-1 or 6-2 um but I I expect her to come through that um and then, yeah, as you said, I think Simona Hallett versus Svitolina, I think that'll be a lot of a like closer, tighter s- sort of affair. I see like the Serena match being like a 6-2, 2-6, 6-1 or something like that. But I think with Hallett, Hallett, Svitolina, I'm going to have to going to have to back Hallett just because, you know, it's Svitolina's kind of maiden semi-final. Hallett has that grand slam experience before you know she's obviously what she won the french open um i and i expect her that that experience already will just kind of put her at ease when she's on a court she knows that feeling and i think that i think she'll i think she'll come through that i think it'll be i think it will be three sets but i think how will come through that what about what about you Hmm. Yeah, I think Serena Williams, and I, I'm I'm a bit more f- for Svitolina there than you are, but I, I do probably think that Halep just that extra experience at, at a Slam level will come through. Um, I mean, interestingly, these four semi-finalists uh, are a completely different set of semi-finalists to those that we had at the French, and then again at the Australian Open, it was another different four entirely. So. You know, it's it's throwing up lots of excitement um, and unpredictability, um, you know, in the women's side of things. But yeah, I think I, I will settle for maybe the safe option of Serena Simona final. Um, as for the men, I mean, Novak Djokovic, I would say, is a dead cert for the final. Federer, Nadal, um, obviously I would love Rafa, but I, I'm just going to say Federer because I want to be wrong in this in this case <laughs> e- oh, oh I oh I I mean I said Federer earlier um you can't change your mind like 20 minutes later Joel. Uh, yeah I'm gonna change my mind I'm gonna change my mind I I think Nadal has looked very good on a grass court over the last couple over the last couple of weeks um and I mean Federer has as well but I think, 
I don't know. For me, this just might be something has happened in the last twenty minutes that makes me think Nadal's gonna Nadal's gonna come through that five set epic, twelve all final um, tie break in the fifth set. I think. Uh, Oh, could you imagine if it actually, if it actually does happen? <laughs> it could be the greatest match of all time, you know, again. <laughs> I mean, interestingly enough, um, Roger Federer has the lowest, uh, percentage of challenges correctly overturned by all the semi, you know, out of all the semi finalists. So, um, he's not very good at, uh, perhaps challenging dodgy calls. Um, so maybe that will, maybe that will help Rafa. They just need to. He just needs to get Federer to challenge everything and then lose his rag or something. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we'll see if it's going to be a Raffle final or a... What, what do you call Djokovic against Federer? Do they have a nickname for their Fedol? Novakara. Novakara. <laughs> Who knows? Anyone, tell us if there's a nickname. I, I, I don't know amongst the Djokovic and Federer fandoms if there is a, a amalgamation of their names. Um We've also got the men's and women's doubles semifinals lined up. So in the men's doubles, we've got Nicola Mau and Roger Vasilan against Dodig and Palasek, um, who are unseeded. But I mean, I know Dodig is a very good doubles player. Um, do you think, think uh, Mahu's rubbing it in... Um... <laughs> Pierre Ugebert's face, yeah. <laughs> I know. So like, I don't need you. I've got Roger Vasilan, <laughs> you know. Um, and then Raven Klaassen and Michael Venus play Cabal and Farah. So that's the third and second seeds. Um, Cabal and Farah are the Eastbourne champions. So it'd be interesting to see if they can make that Wimbledon as well. And then women's doubles, very straightforwardly, it is the top four seeds in the semifinals. So we've got Babos and Mladenovic, the top seeds, against Sue Weishay and Stritzkova. Um, so hopefully Stritzkova won't be too sort of tired from her singles exploits. And then we've got Gabby Dabrowski and uh, Zhu at the fourth seeds against Sinyakova and Krichichkova, who are the second seeds and defending champions. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. Anyone's got court one tickets over the next few days, they'll get to see the top women's doubles pairs in action. So you're not backing a Strichkova double, double champion? I think she's more likely in the doubles, let's just say. And I would be happy to see her win the doubles because that would be nice kind of reward wouldn't it i mean I, I don't think she's won the wimbledon doubles before um but yeah i mean we will see we'll see it's all to play for we've still got the quarters of the mixed all happening so evan hoyt in silver um still to come so we'll be back um i think after the semi-finals just rounding up the action and then previewing the finals on the weekend and it'll be over before you know it won't it john <laughs> Exactly. We'll already be on to our, our 51st episode by uh, the end of the working week. Uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be back uh, on Friday evening, kind of recapping all the the uh, yeah the ladies and men's semi-finals, as well as previewing the finals on the Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you can join us then. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this very special 50th episode of the Passing Shot. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye bye from me and Kim. Uh, thanks for listening and see you later. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in the Passing Shot community. If you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, 
then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.